Brilliant to be here. Thank you. Really lovely to be able to connect many faces that I know and a lot of faces I don't know as well, but really lovely to be able to be amongst you. As uh, Andy said, it was a privilege to be able to welcome people from the Ford's family of churches and the Synergy's family of churches to be amongst us as a group of churches. Um, we call ourselves the Maximize family of churches and uh, just felt like it was a context where the life of God could be shared and um, being in one another's context enables us to learn from each other and bless one another. So um, it's great to be able to come and be amongst you. And uh, I trust that, that this afternoon, I have to try and catch myself so I don't say this morning, um, this afternoon uh, you will have a sense of God speaking into to your heart. It's really lovely as well to have my dad with me and um, it's gave me an extra reason to be able to come and spend some time with him. So he lives just outside Oxford. So I stayed uh, with him last night and I'm staying tonight. And then he said, oh, could I come with you? And um, so I thought that would be lovely to have his um, company. Uh, I did think it might create an extra little challenge for me because um, he can sleep in the the worst of places. And uh, four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon is... Uh, <laughs> so uh, he keeps me humble, probably, and uh, keeps me on my toes. But he is just about within reach, isn't he? So I could uh, just about catch him. Um, in the coming weeks, <coughs> you, along with us, I imagine, will be thinking about the good news of Jesus coming into our world. And today, uh, I guess I want to wet, try and wet our appetites by actually coming from the very other end of the story. Um, Emma, my wife, um, she uh, loves reading, but she has this slightly weird thing whereby before she reads a book, well, often she'll just read the end. And I'm like, what on earth do you do that for? It's like, what's the point of reading the book if you're just going to read the end? She says, no, no, I want to know whether it's worth reading. <clears throat> and um, so having read the last few pages, she will make a decision about whether to then read the whole book or not. And uh, we are today going to start, as it were, at the end. We're going to think about the good news that the risen Lord Jesus transforms everything. And we're going to do that by reading and looking at John chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got a phone, you're welcome to sort of look that up there. Or you can also, it will come up on the screen um, when we come to it. Just to set a bit of a scene, John 21 uh, is the last chapter in John's Gospel. It is a key stepping stone, an absolute key stepping stone from John 18 to Acts 2. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in John 18, we see Peter denying Jesus three times. And in John 13, he said to Jesus, he's looked him squarely in the eye and he said, oh, no, 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 I, I'm, I'll follow you wherever you go. And I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says to him, truly I tell you, that before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. And in John 18, that's what we see happening. Peter 
at the point where Jesus is facing his greatest test, disowns Jesus. And yet, in Acts chapter 2, we see Peter boldly standing up when others are making fun and going, oh, are they drunk? What are they doing on the day of Pentecost? And he stands up and he says, no, no, no. And he boldly preaches the gospel. And 3,000 people get saved. And you go, how does he go from zero to hero like that? Well, obviously, between John 18 and Acts chapter 2, you have got Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection. That is a pretty key moment. Also, you've got Pentecost. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a new boldness that comes on him. But the other thing you've got is a very real, personal, authentic encounter with Jesus. And that's absolutely key in this journey of Peter. God is always wanting to meet us where we are at and wanting to do a work of restoration and recommissioning. And today, I don't know where you're at, but he does. He knows exactly where you're at. And we're going to read these verses, and I want to encourage you to open your heart to the God who knows exactly where you're at and the God who loves you and wants to speak to you right where you are at. So John 21, we'll read verses 1 to 8 to start with. It says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. <clears throat> I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. And we don't know for certain quite the implication of Peter going out to fish. We're not sure if this actually is, in essence, him going back to an old way of life, saying, well, I've messed up. Jesus had called him. He had left his nets. He said, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And he'd left his nets, and he'd followed him, and now he's gone back to fishing for fish. Maybe it was a momentary thing, but maybe it was like, no, no, no. I've messed up to such an extent. Whatever Jesus spoke into my life, whatever he called me to, whatever has happened now, I'm just going back to this. And what happens? Well, he catches nothing. The truth is that life, ministry, or mission on our own leads to nothing. Jesus made that very clear, didn't he? He said, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, 
he'll bear much fruit. But then he says, apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. But the risen Lord Jesus is watching and waiting to help. Maybe you're getting on and you're living your life on your own, doing it your way, doing your thing. The risen Lord Jesus is watching and waiting to help. Verse 4, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken off and jumped into the water. So, as I said, we see here how Jesus is always wanting to engage with us and to speak into our everyday lives. And we have the choice. We can welcome his involvement and we can obey his instruction or we can leave him on the shore and keep him at a distance and do things our own way. And sometimes that is a greater temptation when we know that we have failed. When we've gone through failure or we've gone through disappointment, sometimes the temptation is to retreat into ourselves rather than to run to him. But Peter now can't stop himself. When he realizes it's the Lord, he jumps in the water. Failure is not a reason to run from him, but to run to him. And Peter knows he's got unresolved business with him. I want to get this stuff sorted. I don't know whether you, you've had that feeling, you know, this stuff that's not quite, quite right in a relationship, well, it can't really just go on as normal until you've just got it sorted, can you? And, and you know, if, you, if you're married or you've been married, you may know that experience. Certainly, you know, maybe some of you never have any issues, but Emma and I, there are, there are times when it's like, there's stuff we have to work out, stuff we have to resolve. And, and until it's resolved, there's something not quite right. And it's like, it's the biggest priority in my mind. How can I get this sorted? We've got to have a conversation. I, I desperately, more than anything else, I want us to get alone. We can have this conversation and just work this out. And I think that's something of how Peter's wired now. He just, it's the Lord. And he wants to run to him. Oh, what can happen now? Let's go on and read verse 9. 
or from verse 8. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. And we'll come back to those burning coals. There with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, I love this, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appears to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus not only wants to engage and speak into our everyday lives, he wants to talk with us And invites us to be with him and to eat with him. When you invite someone to eat with you, you're inviting them into relationship. It's much more than just food, isn't it? It's time. It's time with someone. That's the invitation that he makes to every one of us. No matter what's gone on in our lives... He makes that invitation. He invites us into relationship. If you've started in a relationship with Jesus, you'll know something of the excitement and reality of that. And yet, do you know what can happen if we're not careful? We start in relationship And we end in religion. We start in relationship. It's about relationship with Jesus. There's something so beautiful and so precious. And then without quite realizing, certain things happen. And you drift by and you end up just in a place of religion. Not relationship. And today, wherever you're at... He invites me and he invites you into relationship. A day-by-day living relationship, eating and talking with him. And we have the opportunity to accept that invitation afresh. Having a meal with someone is an invitation to relationship. And Jesus today makes that invitation to each and every one of us. I actually always look back at a time when I was 11 years old. I would have said that I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. I believed in God. But as I look back at a key moment, it's actually when I went on a camp as an 11-year-old. And um, and my parents sort of, at that point, our sport had a you know, and they said, oh, there'll be lots of sport, there'll be lots of activities. Well, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'll go along on that. There was also a talk morning and evening. Um, but I loved it. It was brilliant. And I got gripped as they began to unpack the gospel. And the moment that I look back on is like suddenly the lights going on for me was someone speaking on the verse in Revelation 3, verse 20. And many of you will, will know it. 
And it's in one of the, the last letter the, of the seven letters in Revelation. And, and it, Jesus says this. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And as an 11-year-old, this guy that was speaking, it felt like he was speaking just to me. And he said, do you know what? He said, Jesus wants to come in to your life. But you have to welcome him. And then he told the story of Holman Hunt, who has, you, many of you will know, has painted this picture representing this verse. And um, it's a picture of Jesus standing um, with, as it got a lamp and a crown of thorns on his head, and he's knocking on the door. And he's, he's knocking on this door. It's a bit of an overgrown door, and it's just an amazing picture. And apparently, I always remember as an 11-year-old hearing this story, he says, Holman Hunt, when he finished it, took it to a friend of his and said, look, this is what I've done. What do you think? And he said, oh, Holman, it's brilliant. It's an amazing picture. You've done a great job. He says, but you've made one mistake. And Holman Hunt said, oh, no, what's that? He said, you haven't put a handle on the door. And Holman Hunt said, oh, no, that's not a mistake. Because the handle's on the inside. And I realized, you know what? Just because I've grown up in a Christian home, just because I've believed in God, actually, I've got a choice to make myself. It's not, he's not going to force his way into my life. I need to turn that handle. It's on the inside. I need to invite him to come into my life. And I remember doing that as an 11-year-old. The truth is that in some ways, the person speaking was taking that verse slightly out of context because it's not really written to someone who's not yet a Christian. It was written to believers. It was written to a church of believers. And it was saying, you've gone lukewarm. You've lost something. So he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I'm here. I'm knocking. Please, you've closed certain areas off to me. I want to be in a living relationship with you every moment of every day and I'm knocking, wanting to come in. Everything is dependent on relationship and in a context of relationship, in a context of relationship, Jesus can speak to us about all sorts of things. You may know the phrase, you can't take a 12-ton truth over a 10-ton bridge. You know, when you've got a relationship, truth can flow. You can face things. Relationship really matters. And there's no relationship that's as significant as our relationship with Jesus. And here we see Jesus feeding Peter before he asks him to feed others. Tom Wright puts it this way. He says, Peter's calling is to embody leader and follower. Feeder and fed. Carer and cared for. And Jesus invites us to follow him, to be led by him, and he invites us to lead others. Jesus invites us to be fed by him and he invites us to feed others. Jesus wants to care for us 
and he wants to care, us to care for others. Let's just keep going through this story. Verse 15, when they had finished, eat, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, notice what he calls him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And here we see him and see how Jesus frees us from our guilt and invites us into his work. It's an amazing act of forgiveness, grace, and trust. But he doesn't do it without helping Peter face the past. He wants to help each and every one of us be honest and real and face where we're at, face what's gone on, face what we're feeling, not bury stuff, but he wants to talk it through with us, help us to work it through, to embrace his freedom and begin to serve him again. Jesus helps Peter to face up to what has happened so that instead of living in his shame, he could forever live in the light of God's grace and fulfill the destiny on his life. And Jesus wants to help us to face our past so that he can forgive us for our past and free us from our past so that those things have no hold as we go forward. And if we're not careful, our tendency is to want to avoid those things. But when he invites you to eat with him, when he says, let me make you breakfast, when he says, let's have time together, guess what? In his love, he doesn't want to leave with stuff unresolved. He wants to face you up with it. I said I'd come back to those burning coals, a fire of burning coals. That Greek word is to describe a fire is only used in one other context in the New Testament. And it's in John 18, at the place where Peter was warming him round, himself round a bar, fire of burning coals when he disowns Jesus. I never knew him. Jesus brings him back and helps him to face what has gone on. He calls him Simon instead of Peter because actually he's having to bring him back. Oh yeah, we talked about all your destiny, but you know what? We've got to face this stuff if you're going to step in to who I've made you to be. 
I, um, I have a story that I sometimes use to illustrate this, that, that I still shivers up my back a little bit because years ago now, um, I went to visit some people and um, they lived in the most beautiful house you could possibly imagine. Well, at least everything in the house was just beautifully looked after. If you came to our house, I think you'd describe it as a home, i.e. it's a lived-in home and um, there's lots of things that aren't perfectly in place and, um, you know, there's, there's, there's suitable... It just is, I hope people would feel at home. Um, this, these people's house, they had just everything was spick and span and perfect. And I went in and they, I knocked on their door and they welcomed me and they seemed very enthusiastic to see me, which was very nice. And um, they'll do come in, they welcome me into the living room and um, this beautiful cream carpet and lovely sofas, everything in exactly its right place. And they said, oh, would you like a drink? I said, oh, yes, please, that'd be lovely. And um, I can't remember what drink I ordered, but they both go into the kitchen to, to make the drinks. And I'm left walking around this lovely sitting room and uh, working out where I'm going to sit to do least damage to the, you know, this beautiful thing. And, um, and then as I wander around, I'm just thinking, where shall I sit? To my horror, I look back around and I see, <gasps> I've brought in a whole lot of dog smug. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're in the kitchen. They're going to be coming back in shortly. And I'm desperately thinking, what can I do? What can I do? So I, I actually, I thought, oh, maybe. And I got my foot and I was trying to see, can I manage to lift it back up again and, and try and somehow, but all I was doing was making it worse. So then I'm going, oh, can I move the sofa somehow? Can I try and cover it up? And of course, do you know what? I couldn't do any of that, could I? I just had to go, wait for them to come back in and say, I'm so sorry but I've made an awful... Well, at least I've brought in an awful mess. And, um, uh, and they, were, they were just so good. They said, oh, it doesn't matter at all. It's fine. And they had all that you need, amazing stuff. that went and got stuff. And before you knew it, it was sorted. But had I just pushed over the sofas and everything, and you know, we'd have been sitting there, it, I'd have felt very uncomfortable the whole time. There was something that was hidden and probably begun to go... What's, what's going on? It would have totally changed the way we engage together. And if we're not careful, we can find there's a temptation to want to cover stuff up, to pretend stuff's not there. But Jesus is far more interested in real relationship where we will face what's really going on in our hearts and lives. And so having brought him back, faced him with things, he asked him a very direct question. Do you love me? He asked him three times. Why? Because it's right at the heart of everything. Before you're going to serve me, I want to know that you love me. Before you're going to step afresh into this destiny, before you're going to be this Peter that I've got all these plans and purposes for, I want to know that you love me. And it is a root issue for every single one of us. Do you love me? And if we love him, then it means laying down love for other things. Love for Christ or love for ourselves? Love for Christ or love for our reputation? Love for Christ 
or love for the world? Love for Christ or love for money? Love for Christ or love for possessions? Jesus said it very clearly, didn't he, in Matthew 6. He said, um, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and be devoted to the other, or he'll despise the one and be. Either he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, or he'll be. I've got myself in a. Let me just read that very clearly so I don't say it wrong. Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Other stuff can get control of our lives. And if that's the case, guess what? Jesus invites you for breakfast. And guess what? In that context of relationship and love for you, he will want in his love to put his finger on whatever it might be is mastering you. Because he doesn't want you to play a game. Jesus, the good shepherd, invites Peter afresh into his work of feeding and caring for the sheep. What an amazing act of forgiveness, grace, and trust. And through the cross, through the cross, Christ's call trumps our fall. I don't know what's gone on in your life. He does. You know it. You know the things that have been a disappointment. You know the things you've got wrong. You know the things that haven't worked out. You know everything, but you know what? Those are not the things that have to define us. Peter could have allowed himself to be defined by, I'm the one. Yeah. I said I'd follow him wherever, and I just denied him three times. Yeah. Then what did I do? I just went back to my fishing. But he didn't. Jesus was waiting and watching and Peter ran to him. I had another few verses and another point but we're not going to get there. I asked at the start that you would just open your heart. That you might be real with him. The one who loves you, the one who sees whatever's really going on in your heart. And the one who invites you not into a superficial relationship, but an authentic and honest relationship. And maybe you've settled for religion and somehow relationship with him has become unreal and superficial. 
Maybe you're allowing yourself to be defined by all sorts of stuff that he doesn't want you to be defined by. Jesus has a destiny for you. He loves you and he wants to start right where you're at. So that you can have that real relationship with him. And you can step into your destiny with him. Shall we just take a moment to be quiet? In the silence, I just encourage you to be as real as you possibly can with the one who loves you and sees you. With the one who wants to engage with you and speak into your life. With the one who invites you to have breakfast with him. Invites you into relationship. with the one who wants to free us from our guilt and invite us into his work. And Lord Jesus, as we begin to talk to you in a real way, as we begin to welcome your involvement, as we begin to embrace real, authentic relationship with you, I pray that in this moment you would start something in many of our lives afresh. Thank you for how this encounter changed everything for Peter. And I pray that here in this place you would meet us in a very personal and authentic way. I pray that where shame has ruled, where disappointment, where fear, where superficiality, where religiosity, 
whatever it might be, has got in the way, I pray you would lift those things off us. And I pray that in the days and the weeks to come, you'd help us to walk with you, to talk with you, to eat with you, to be real with you, to receive your love, to receive your forgiveness, and to embrace the destiny you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.